Welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. I'm Mina B, and I'm a licensed social worker, mental health educator, and author of Owning Our Struggles. I'll be chatting with experts, wellness advocates, and others about the power of community care in improving your mental health. We'll delve into topics such as friendships, managing difficult relationships, and most importantly, how to cultivate belonging and support in our lives. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Paige Bellenbaum is a licensed clinical social worker and the founding director and chief external relations officer at the Motherhood Center of New York. For the past 20 years, she has worked in public policy, advocacy, and clinical care with various populations, including homeless families and incarcerated young adults. After her first child was born, Paige suffered from severe postpartum depression and anxiety that nearly ended her life. However, once she began to heal, she became committed to fighting for education, screening, and treatment for postpartum depression so that no more women would have to suffer silently. She has appeared on The Today Show, Good Morning America, NPR, PBS NewsHour, Fortune, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal. Hi, Paige. How are you? Welcome to the show. Mina, I'm so happy to be here. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. You know, I'm really excited to have this conversation with a fellow social worker. I'm so excited to be talking about the power of community through the lens of social work, but also your own personal experiences. So I'm really excited for our conversation. I am too. I love a social work sister. Well, I'm so excited to pretty much jump into our conversation, Paige. You have done such amazing work and you have been so vocal about your experiences with postpartum depression and anxiety. And this season, we're focusing on the power of community, the power of relationships, how relationships heal, how having support is so healing. And I imagine, of course, in the concept of motherhood, that is so necessary and needed. But I would love for you to share with listeners your story with postpartum depression and anxiety and pretty much what your motherhood journey has been like. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share my own personal experience with postpartum depression in particular. When I had my first child, my son Max, 17 years ago, As a social worker, as somebody who is trained to recognize mental illness in others, I had no idea what it was that I was experiencing. When I look back in retrospect, I was a very anxious pregnant person. I found myself very often worried about how he was doing in there. Was I eating the right things? Was I caring for him the right way? Was I taking care of myself the right way for him? I was the person who was calling the OBGYN at least five to seven times a week with a whole litany of questions. And for first-time mothers and birthing people, that's a very 
common experience. It's the first time we want nothing more than to take the best care of our little gestating fetus. But when I look back in retrospect, I recognize it was a little extra. And my anxiety was getting in the way sometimes of my ability to even kind of make it through the day without interruption and being distracted by all of the things I was afraid could happen. Once I had him, it was almost immediate I didn't have those feelings that I thought like I was supposed to or should have. That kind of magical mother moment when they put the baby on your chest and the heavens part and the angels come down and there's light in the room and you're like, oh my gosh, I have arrived. This is the most blissful, amazing thing that I could have ever imagined. Instead, I'd had a very long and what I consider to be a traumatic birth. And when that moment finally did happen, I was exhausted and I wanted to sleep for three days in a dark room after eating a hamburger. And when they put him on my chest, I was like, what is this squirmy, white-covered thing? And it was in that moment where my inability to bond and attach with him, as I thought all new mothers were meant to do, began. In the weeks to follow, my anxiety increased significantly. I was constantly worried about his health. In my darkest moments, all of my fears led to he's going to die. Something terrible is going to happen. He wasn't eating enough. He wasn't sleeping enough. My breast milk was, I had an oversupply issue, which is uncommon. There's usually undersupply issues, but I was incredibly uncomfortably engorged. He wasn't nursing the way I thought he should be. And so I lived in a chronic, constant ball of anxiety and fear and dread that something terrible was going to happen. And then as time went on, I started to become more and more depressed. And I did not feel connected to him. I didn't feel like I liked him. I felt angry that my life had been taken away from me as I knew it. I wanted to go back in time and press rewind and not be pregnant. And I felt like this little person who sometimes I looked at and thought was very cute also had completely taken my life away from me as I knew it. Those dark days got longer and darker, and I started to not really want to be here anymore. I felt like my son and my husband would be better off without me. I wished that I could fall asleep and not wake up or perhaps buy a one-way ticket to another country and never come back because surely they would have a better relationship without me in the picture. And there was one day where I was taking my son for a walk in the stroller. And in this depression, I had hardly gone out at all for at least two weeks. But I forced us out because I knew he needed some fresh air. And as we were walking towards the corner, there was a bus coming down the street from the right. And as the bus was coming, I had this incredible urge to throw us both in front of the bus because I thought we would both be better off if I wasn't alive and I wasn't his mother. And it was all I could do to hold us back. And as that bus passed, I saw this reflection of me in the windows moving by, and it was someone I didn't recognize. I didn't know who she was, but I knew she needed help. And it was in that immediate moment after where I realized I needed clinical treatment that I wanted to stay alive for my baby. And I was worried that if I didn't get it, that that wouldn't be the case. And so I 
found treatment at a New York City perinatal center. It was the only one of its kind 17 years ago. I went on medication. I started therapy. I went to support groups with other new and expecting mothers that were struggling. And slowly I got better. Fast forward seven years ago, I opened up a center for pregnant and postpartum women experiencing postpartum depression and other conditions coming fully from the intent of, I don't want anyone else to ever have to struggle for as long as I did or endure the pain and anguish that I went through. And so to date, the Mother has, Center has treated thousands and thousands of women to help them get to that place. Wow, Paige. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. I imagine that there are a lot of people listening right now who need this level of vulnerability. In my own life, I engage in motherhood through the role of aunt and godmother. But I have friends who experience postpartum depression, and it looks different on everyone, right? And I want to name that. And the amount of support and care that is needed to help get through that season and get through that time frame where all the things that you're naming, I have seen so many of my close friends experience as well. Even I want to name what was considered an intrusive thought when you were standing at that bus stop, like, what if I just throw myself in my son? Because I know a lot of people are like, I have these thoughts. And so we're naming that. That is called an intrusive thought. And just the way you've been able to outline your experiences, what came up for you, and then the journey that you went on to treat it and now helping others treat it. And there are a few things that came up for me as you were sharing your story. And the first one was when you talked about while you were still pregnant and you were asking your doctors all of these different questions, I'm curious to know what you felt like your relationship with your healthcare providers were like. Because during that time, what I hear is you being a new mom, right? And so you're anxious, you have all of these thoughts, you have concerns, and I'm thinking of other people who are new to this journey as well. And often the first people who we want support from are our doctors, our healthcare providers, but (laughs) I also know many stories of medical racism. I also know many stories of people who experience oppression in certain facilities. I know many stories of people who honestly don't even have access to care. So can you, you know, if you feel comfortable sharing, what was that like? Do you feel like you were supported? And what were some of the things that you felt you needed support around that specifically came from your healthcare providers that other people might be able to listen to and realize, well, maybe I should be asking my doctors these questions? Mina, I love this question. And Only because I feel like this is an opportunity to cover some of the most important points related to what we refer to as perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, which includes postpartum depression. Before I answer that excellent question, I just want to backtrack and really support something that you said, scary intrusive thoughts. I want our listeners to know that 80% of all new mothers have them. It can be a thought of anything ranging from, I'm afraid to get near the stairs because I'm afraid I might accidentally throw my baby down the stairs. I can't get near the window because I think I'm going to throw my baby out the window. 80% of all new mothers have these thoughts. And it doesn't even mean that they have postpartum depression or another form of a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And yet, 
women are so fearful to come forward and say that they're having these thoughts for fear of judgment, right? For a sense of just embarrassment and a sense of failure. What kind of a mother would ever think these things? And Mina, the greatest fear is if I tell anybody I'm having this thought, they're going to come and take my baby away, which is one of the leading reasons why 75 to 80% of all new and expecting mothers and birthing people struggling from perinatal mood and anxiety disorders do not come forward, right? That's an enormous amount of women who don't get treatment on an annual basis because they're afraid. So for anyone out there who has had a scary intrusive thought in the past or is having them now, please know that it is almost everyone who experiences them. It doesn't mean you're a bad mom. You haven't done anything wrong. It is something that almost all of us go through. So to get back to your question in regards to the medical community, so my experience 17 years ago was clearly a while back, and there have been improvements made in medical practice as it pertains to maternal mental health. I can talk about back then, and I can talk about what's probably even more important, which is now. Back then, nobody was talking about maternal mental health, not a soul. None of my friends were talking about it. None of my family members were talking about it. My midwife wasn't talking about it. My lactation consultant wasn't talking about it. My doula wasn't talking about it. Nobody was talking about it. And so there was so little communication or what we refer to as psychoeducation, right? Providing information to a newer expecting mother about maternal mental health, which is why as we started our conversation today, when it happened to me, I had no idea what it was. So fast forward to today, the United States has the leading maternal mortality rate of any developed country in the world. 23% of those cases of maternal deaths in this country are attributed to maternal mental illness and substance use. And it has recently been since the Center for Disease Control came out last year with their most recent data that found 23% of all maternal deaths are attributed to mental illness and substance use, that we have seen a wave of activity through the lens of government, federal, state, and local, and also through the lens of practice, aiming to better support perinatal people, particularly in the area of mental health. So we have made incredible strides over the past 17 years. That said, we have so far to go when it comes to the concept of prevention and education and maternal mental health. I speak to thousands of OBGYNs, pediatricians, all kinds of providers that come in contact with new and expecting mothers. And my advice and my recommendation, request, order to them is, we start talking about maternal mental health in preconception. Everybody needs to know that along with motherhood being one of the most blissful, amazing things we will ever do, there are things we need to be mindful of in the range of mental health. This is what perinatal mood and anxiety disorders are. This is what they look like. And continue that psychoeducation throughout their pregnancy. If I were the PMAD queen of the United States, it would happen at every single OBGYN or midwifery visit. We would conduct screens because we have maternal mental health screenings. The gold standard is the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale, the EPDS. That would be administered at every visit, reviewed with the patient. And for patients that score in the category of what is considered to be a potential postpartum depression, they would be 
referred, not just given a piece of paper that has been copied a million times with resources on it that are not active anymore, but referred to perinatal mental health treatment clinics and providers, and not just handed a piece of paper, but perhaps that doctor or provider makes the call with the patient in the office to try to set up that initial evaluation, right? To really help her do that. Because when you're struggling, you are not in a position to start picking up the phone and calling different providers to see if they accept your insurance. So the education would be happening, this routine screening all throughout pregnancy and up to one year postpartum. So OBs and pediatricians are playing a role now. Referrals are being made and partners are being brought into the conversation. I was just speaking on an Instagram live earlier. You know, when I was in that place, I felt like I was drowning. And I felt like I was paddling as fast as I could to keep just my head above water to breathe. And all I wanted to do was for someone to throw me a life preserver and pull me out onto the shore. And it's why at the Motherhood Center, our logo is a life preserver. And I use this story quite a bit because, A, I can't tell you how many women use the description of feeling as though they're drowning or their relationship to water in some way when they're experiencing a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And I also use this analogy so that we can involve partners and other close family members into being educated around maternal mental health signs and symptoms so they can act as the life preserver for that person who is suffering and struggling. And so for providers to be able to talk about what's postpartum depression, not just to the new or expecting mother or birthing person, but to the partner, to the birthing person's mother, father, sister, whoever is there. Because, you know, Mina, I don't have to tell you this, but that proverbial village in contemporary American society, where the hell is that? So we got to make sure everybody knows about this so that we can all be a life preserver. Everywhere from providers to partners to friends and family, we can all play a role. And, you know, Mina, the tragedies, right? The fact that so many women suffer and struggle silently is a tragedy in and of itself. But the real tragedies that we hear about that make the headlines, the mother in Massachusetts, the mother of three in Coney Island, These are mental illnesses that were not effectively treated and caught. These are women who were failed by our healthcare system and by our other systems because they fell through the cracks, right? And so for providers, particularly in these disciplines, and I know they are totally working as hard as they can. I know they are doing phenomenal work and... This is all of our responsibility. We all have to play a part in making sure that tragedies don't happen and that mothers and birthing people get to have the experience that they've always hoped for in becoming a mother. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Very Well Mind podcast. I'm your host, Mina B. Paige, thank you so much for so eloquently outlining all of the different resources and steps that people can take in this journey because 
think about the work that we do, right, in the mental health field. And specifically, you had said earlier, even at the preconception phase, right, where even if you're not pregnant, if you're planning to be pregnant and hope to be pregnant at some point, these are things that you can also be doing to care for your mental health, your well-being, and resources that you can connect with. And once you have conceived, these are the other things that you can be doing and outlining. And I used to work for an organization called Canva, where that is exactly what we did. We serviced the community and we found out what stage people were in and plugged them in with different resources and helped them get the help that they needed. But I often think about the luxury and the beauty of having the background that we have and having the access to the education and the insight and the knowledge to be able to name these surveys and to name these particular things that we engage in as professionals. So I really appreciate the way you just literally listed all of the things an average person can be doing who didn't go to school for this, isn't out in the field doing the work that we do because this is why it's so important for us to not gatekeep this information and help people realize resources are out there. And so this is also a time where I ask listeners, please share this with people that you know who are experiencing pregnancy, desire to be pregnant, because this is such a valuable resource that is so important. And there's also something else that you mentioned as you started talking about calling in family, calling in your partners. I'm curious to know, Because you mentioned this was 17 years ago. So as you said, too, nobody was talking about postpartum depression. And so I'm wondering for you and your partner at this time, or even friends or family at that time as well, not only did you not know that there was a name for what you were experiencing, I imagine the people around you didn't know. So do you feel like you had a support system outside of your healthcare providers at that time as well? And over the course of the years that have gone by, how can you help people develop a support system outside of their doctors to be able to name, this person is dealing with postpartum and these are the things I can be doing to show up for them. But I'm curious to know how it manifested for you. For me, there was nobody. There Mm. was nothing. and. Since I didn't know what it was, my husband certainly didn't know what it was. My friends didn't know what it was. I mean, I became so isolated, didn't talk to anyone, was just a recluse, really, and tried to keep all of those terrible feelings to myself because I didn't want anyone to know what I was feeling and think that I was just a terrible mother. So there was no support system there. And luckily, things have changed. And there are very viable support systems available for women these days. You know, there's a whole plethora of options that are kind of popping up everywhere, particularly in relation to the Center for Disease Control's findings and the link between mental illness and maternal death. A lot has changed in light of the pandemic. So a lot of treatment and support is accessible through virtual care, right? So to be able to connect with a therapist who specializes in perinatal mental health, like we do at the Motherhood Center, or to attend a support group where there are other new and expecting mothers that are struggling with mental illness, these things are now much more easily accessible than they ever were before. But, you know, I think my husband carries an enormous amount of guilt 
now 17 years later, that he didn't know how much I was suffering. He didn't know how much pain I was in or how miserable I was. I didn't tell him. I didn't tell anybody. And so as I got better, for me personally, and I started to talk to more people about my own experience. I'll give you an example. You know, one of the stories that I often share with new and expecting mothers, there was one day also I went outside with my son, been a while. This was a separate day from the bus incident where I went for a walk to the park and I was walking through the park with him in a sling and I was looking all around and there were these mothers down on their hands and knees, playing with their kids, their babies, pushing them in the swings. And I was like, gosh, this was such a bad idea. I came to this park where every mother is doing it right but me. This is like a giant billboard sign saying, you are the worst mother. I should have turned around and gone back, but I'm glad I didn't. So I walked towards the bench. I sat down and I looked out at the sea of happy mothers. And out of the corner of my eye was this beautiful woman who started to walk towards me. She had a baby and a baby Bjorn. She was like a size two. She had her lipstick on. Her hair looked pretty. I hadn't taken a shower in I don't know how many days. I don't even want to know what I looked like in the same sweatpants I'd had on for three months. And she's getting closer. And I think she's going to sit down next to me. And I'm thinking to myself, please don't. Please don't sit down next to me. I have nothing in common with you, right? I don't want to talk. I don't want to be reminded yet again about the blissfulness of motherhood that I have nothing to do with. So she sits down next to me. She takes out her baby, beautiful little girl, rosy red cheeks. Baby smiles at her. She smiles at the baby. She looks over at me, like hunched over, sees I have a baby too and says, isn't this the greatest thing that ever happened to you? And I looked at her and I said, no. Wow. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. And a lot of the time, I wish I never did it. And her smile started to fade and she started to cry. And she said to me, thank you so much for saying that. I feel the same way. Mm. And it was in that moment where I realized I wasn't alone and that there were other people struggling too. And so when I did get treatment and went on medication and therapy and support groups and took advantage of what was there, and again, there was very little, there's a ton more now, I got really pissed, got real mad that nobody was talking about this. And I went out on a journey having a background, interestingly enough, in social work, primarily in public policy, advocacy, lobbying, Worked a lot with Canva, by the way, was at the time managing several homeless shelters for families and other nonprofit programming. And so I used my connections politically and I started researching what was on the books via legislation around mandatory screening and education for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. What were other states and cities doing? And I wrote what I considered to be model legislation. And I was like, if New York wants to get this right, this is how they do it. And I brought it to state senator at the time, Liz Krueger, who is still in office and is a total champion of women's health and mental health and women's rights overall. And I said, listen, Liz, I know you're really busy and you are working on all kinds of things, but I got to tell you my story. This is what happened to me. It's happened to so many people. Nobody's talking about it. And this is a model bill that I really want to consider you introducing. 
And I was like, I was totally prepared for her to say, you know what, Paige, this is small potatoes for me. I have bigger things to do. Listen to my story, read it. She's like, we are so doing this. So for four years, we fought tirelessly in both houses to get this bill introduced, passed in both houses. It was originally vetoed because the governor at the time said he didn't want to tell the medical community how to do their job. So we had to go back and change the language a bit. But in 2014, it was signed into law. And ultimately, it strongly recommends screening for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders prior to women being discharged from the hospital, as well as making sure that everybody who delivers in the state of New York receives education on maternal mental health and perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Now, that was the first step that the state ever took. I don't know what kind of oversight is in effect. I don't know if there's a secret New York state person who goes to every hospital and asks if they'll please show whether or not these things are happening. (laughs) But I do believe it started a chain of greater focus and attention on this issue. And so here we are today in New York where, you know, Our Office of Mental Health allowed us to start the very first perinatal partial hospitalization program to treat pregnant and postpartum women and birthing people with moderate to severe and acute symptoms and be, you know, kind of trailblazers in best practices and the most efficacious treatment that can be offered to women that are struggling with maternal mental health conditions. This is the stuff that gets me so excited about this field and the concept of community, because what you decided to do through action is literally what community care is. And I'm honestly like, just wow. Like, I feel like I have chills going through my body because we need people to contribute to systemic change. And that's literally what you're speaking to, Paige. And I just, one, I hope that we could find a way to expand this outside of New York (laughs) because I'm sure everyone needs it. But I just think that this is so beautiful and amazing. Again, resources are just so important. And sometimes it's people like us, people like you who have to be that change. You have to be the face of that change. And so I also thank you for being courageous enough to take on that role of presenting these ideas and formalizing these concepts and ideologies to put together these bills to help not just you, but people who are giving birth and recognizing that this is a community care issue. I truly believe that community care is childcare. We as a society have to play a role in progressing motherhood and the next generation. And so what you're speaking to is just so, so powerful. I'm getting all like excited, y'all, because this is like the social worker in me coming out. Yeah. Speaking to another fellow social worker. But like, I want to talk now about the motherhood center because the work you're doing is just so, so incredible. So I just want to know, can you tell us what the motherhood center is? Who qualifies for it? How can people engage with the motherhood center? Is there anything that listeners can know about the motherhood center just in their own journey in life? Absolutely. And I want to say I am focused on New York only because I'm here, but there are widespread changes happening across the U.S. We're seeing more and more programming popping up that's hospital-based. We're seeing more and more clinicians in the field of therapy and also psychiatry that are specializing in maternal mental health. So 
we are at the precipice of change, and that is incredibly hopeful. And so for the Motherhood Center, which we opened our doors back in 2017, and it was a long road. You know, we had to convince our state health department that a perinatal partial hospitalization program was a good thing for them to consider licensing. And we went there first. They said no. We went back again. They said okay. So at the Motherhood Center, we really aim to meet perinatal people that are experiencing perinatal mood and anxiety disorders where they're at on the trajectory of acuity, right? There are some people who have mild symptoms, some who have more moderate symptoms, and some who have severe and acute symptoms. So we really aim to meet people where they're at. And so we offer a full range of different treatment interventions And they can range anywhere from new and expecting mothers attending a support group. And when we talk about community, there is almost nothing more powerful than hearing other people's stories and having them share their vulnerabilities, which gives you then the permission to share your own. So when we talk about community, gosh, I wish so much If you struggled, if you know someone who struggled, if you are struggling now, the more we can share our stories and normalize how common it is to experience postpartum depression, anxiety, and a number of other conditions in the perinatal period, the more we decrease the stigma and shame that surrounds maternal mental health, the more we give permission to other new and expecting mothers and birthing people to come to know it's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. This is happening to one in three new and expecting mothers. This is something that disproportionately impacts women of color and up to 50% of all Black women in particular experience a maternal mental illness and health condition. But support groups can be wonderful. We do that. We also have an army of perinatal therapists that are trained in perinatal mental health and best practices. We have reproductive psychiatrists, which a lot of people don't even know what a reproductive psychiatrist is. And what they do is they specialize in the perinatal period through the lens of psychiatry. So they're experts in the field of medications that are safe and effective to take during pregnancy and postpartum and while breastfeeding. And what we do that nobody else does is our day program. So we have perinatal birthing people come to us who are more acute, that are having a hard time making it through the day. We treat a lot of women that are coming out of inpatient psychiatric facilities and a lot of women who need more support and a higher level of care than outpatient treatment. They're with us five days a week, five hours a day. We have an on-site nursery. Everybody is participating in groups that call upon different best practices in the field of maternal health, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, interpersonal therapy. Every woman is followed by an individual treatment team, so a therapist and a reproductive psychiatrist. We have dyadic treatment, which is all about attachment and bonding between mother and baby. We have expressive therapies, so women participate in art therapy, mindfulness and meditation and yoga. We have music. We do all kinds of these expressive interventions. We do family support where we meet with women and their partners to talk about what's happening and how partners can play a more supportive role. I run a partner support group, so all the dads and partners come once a week so that we can talk about what this is like for them and arm them with ways that they can be more supportive. 
And then women are, once they graduate from the program, they're in aftercare, so they continue on with other people that graduated from the program and continue on in their treatment with a therapist and also, if they're on medication, someone who can manage their meds. This program usually lasts anywhere from four to eight weeks, and this program saves lives. We save lives, and it is magical. And I truly hope that we're able to expand this model across the U.S. so that women everywhere in America can have access to this amazingly healing level of care. Oh, I hope so, too, because this sounds so wonderful, so necessary, so needed. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm just so excited having this conversation with you, Paige. And I'm sad that we are at our very end wrapping up, but I am definitely so excited for listeners to have these resources that you shared. And I just want to ask you a question and I ask all guests, what does community care mean to you? Mina, that's such an important question. What does community mean? I feel like community means that we're all looking out for each other. You know, women and mothers are the backbone of American society. We are the ones that give birth. We bring people into this world that go on to do great things. And so community to me, as it pertains to motherhood, means that we are all doing our part to truly support new mothers, pregnant women, and birthing people as they go through the most important transition of their lifetime. And this means that everybody cares for them, right? We spoke about that proverbial village. It takes a village to raise a child. All of us play a role. From providers that are providing education on maternal mental health, offering screenings to see whether or not a new or expecting mother is struggling, to partners who know the signs and symptoms, who can help the wife, girlfriend, or fiance in their life get connected to care, to friends, family, to other women that have experienced maternal mental health conditions, speaking up and sharing their stories and creating a safe space for other women to come forward and share theirs. These all are the primary ingredients of community and how as a community, we can all come together and support really the lifeline of life overall, which is mothers and motherhood. And so I think these are the ways in which we can really make a difference and we can really ensure that the backbone of our society is cared for in the way that they need and deserve. So I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to have me here today. I'm so thankful to be with your listeners. So if people are interested in learning more about the Motherhood Center, they can visit our website at www.themotherhoodcenter.com. Or you can give us a call and speak to one of our care coordinators who's at the ready to answer any questions you might have. And our phone number is 212-335-0034. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this conversation informative, please share today's episode with your friends and on your social media accounts. And of course, it would be greatly appreciated if you could take a moment to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of the Very Well Mind podcast as we explore the power of community.